welcome to the Sociology and Animals podcast series. In this program, we speak with folks specializing in the sociological study of animals and society in an effort to document and explore how research in our field is applied in the real lives and careers of sociologists. My name is Dr. Corey Wren. I'm currently chair of the Animals and Society section of the American Sociological Association. But this podcast is coming to you from Canterbury, England, where I have been living since 2019 after accepting a position as lecturer in sociology with the University of Kent. Here in the UK, I am a member of the Animal Human Studies Group of the British Sociological Association, as well as the Vegan Society's Research Advisory Committee. In addition to teaching environmental politics, social movements, and animals and society at the University of Kent, I'm also co-director of the Center for the Study of Social and Political Movements and a member of the psychology department's Shark Lab, which stands for the Study of Human-Animal Relations at Kent. As you can see, I have had the great privilege to develop my career around various facets of animal studies, but it hasn't been easy. Our field is growing, but it is still small and doesn't always elicit support from colleagues, prospective employers, editors and reviewers, grant funders, and so on. My aim with this podcast is to challenge this institutional discrimination and provide some insider insights into making a career out of animal studies. Not that long ago, the idea of a career in animal studies would have seemed impossible, if not outlandish. Today, there are considerably more opportunities, but a lot of mystery and ignorance remains about how to go about pursuing and succeeding in this line of work. Especially with academia being so competitive and prestige-oriented, I think a lot of folks are hesitant to discuss the nuts and bolts of their career making. It is my aim that this podcast will serve as a sort of informal virtual mentorship for folks interested in learning more about the sociological pursuit of animal studies. So without further ado, let's meet today's guest. Welcome, Christoph. What's up? What's the word? Hi, Corey. It's good to hear you again. Yeah, I haven't heard from you for a long time since given the lockdown. So tell the people who you are and why I've asked you to be here, why you're the shining star that you are. <laughs> I don't know why you asked me, but um, so I'm Christopher Dont and I'm a senior lecturer in psychology at the University of Kent. Um, and I'm also the director of Shark Lab, which is a research lab uh, focusing on the study of human animal relations at Kent in the psychology uh, department and school of psychology. Uh, but we try to be interdisciplinary to integrate more perspective than just uh, psychology. So, mm. uh, so also trying to focus more and more on sociology and, and other perspectives there. Yeah, you've been quite welcoming to me. I'm the oddball sociologist. It's kind of weird. I, I'm the only sociologist in your group, but then I'm the only animal person in my school. So <laughs> just kind of like the lone representative. Res, representative. Um, Okay, so in the intro to this podcast, I mentioned Shark Lab, by the way, so hopefully folks will go and check that out. It's um, it's a really cool collective. Um, so why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about social psychology and why you think that's conducive to animal studies, because listeners who've made it this far will probably be aware this is a sociology podcast, but sociology does have a home. It does make space for social psychology, although you're definitely psychologically trained you're in that field there is definitely some room for sociologists to learn from this podcast and maybe even consider um, taking that as a career. So what do you think is it is about social sciences that's so conducive to animal studies, Christoph? Uh, well, I think the most important part is that is the scientific 
uh, approach to studying animals and human-animal relations. And I think it's uh, very um, interesting and intriguing to apply scientific methods uh, in, in improving our understanding what we do and why we do it uh, towards animals and also how it's linked to human intergroup relations. Um, so, and, and then the social and behavioral sciences have been spending decades uh, on writing on all kinds of social justice issues. And there's a lot to learn from those approaches also to apply to animal studies. Um, and I think it, it's, a, it's a great way to complement also moral uh, morality literature and ethics perspectives um, with, with the behavior and the social sciences. So it's kind of interesting, a few week, weeks, months ago now, before lockdown happened, uh, was it a Shark Lab meeting? And we were talking about who counts as, no, it was, it was, a, it was our online Shark Lab meeting. Um, and we were talking about, you know, who counts as an activist. And you said you didn't consider yourself an activist. And I said, I do consider myself an activist. And kind of what you were just talking about, where we have all this kind of philosophical and ethical material out there, but we don't have so much as far as evidence to support these claims. And so what we're actually doing if, with our careers is kind of advancing the social movement agenda, I guess, by providing some hard research, some real evidence to support these claims. But you still wouldn't consider yourself an activist. Well, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't like putting people into boxes anyway. So um, I wouldn't overestimate our impact as long as we don't have like measure our impact. Who, who is our audience? Who yeah. are we writing for? I think we write great stuff, um, uh, but if it's end up in academic journals that no one else is reading, yeah. um, I think our, our impact is limited. So we need to still keep reinventing ourselves to really make sure that we're doing what we want to do and what we want to achieve. Yeah. And, and there's that kind of discussion about scholar activism as well. Um, and from that perspective, I'm more on board with using the term activism if it's kind of expressed through our uh, scientific research. Um, but it's hard to compare it with activism in the streets, of course. Okay, this is another debate, so I'll leave, I'll let that one, <laughs> I'll drop that one there. This is I'm result. happy to debate it. I'm, I'm okay <laughs> with any label. Like, I've been doing more talks at vegan events as well and, and, and that yeah. type of stuff. And so that's this. You can't put this in your CV. That's, that's kind of outreach and advocacy as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the, there's other things happening as well, but yeah, uh, that looks more. <laughs> well, I think in the next episode after you, I'm going to be interviewing, uh, well, it's an upcoming episode, it's Dr. Roger Yates, who's a sociologist who I don't really know does really much of anything as far as publications anymore and has just gone hardcore all the way with grassroots activism. So I guess what, what I was aiming, teasing that out, was I just wanted listeners to know that there's all types of varieties of um, ways people come into animal studies, and some people are looking for answers to advance social movements. Some people are just interested in advancing science. Some people don't even do the research, and they just go into straight-up advocacy full-time. So there's all different pathways. But let's get back to the questions because I'm, I'm just kind of got jazzed by that. Um, why don't you, you know how I am. So uh, <laughs> why don't you tell me a little bit about um, from your field in psychology, social psychology, is there a particular uh, concept or theory or theorist that you think listeners might 
find interesting as well that might benefit to learn about? Um, well, I was I was thinking more about publications as well, um, and and I was going to take the opportunity to to promote my own book on it because there's lots of theories and concepts in there that I think are worth reading. So I don't have a particular favorite theory or a favorite concept. Um, and I think we need to kind of combine different approaches um, to make up our mind and to be inspired and do more research or to shape our thinking. Um, and, and then I always keep going back to my own edited book, Why We Love and Explore Animals, um, because there's so much covered in that that I, that I really like, not just, of course, not what I wrote myself in there, but a lot of it is from is written by other scholars that I have a huge amount of respect for. So um, I think, yeah. Well, tell us some of the, the favorite theories from that book. So um, so one thing that I've been, I've not worked on it that much, but I'm, I'm very fascinated by the concept of the meat paradox. Um, and especially if you consider it more broadly, and that's what inspired us as well to with the title of the book, why we love and exploit animals. On the one hand, people claim to love animals, but on the other hand, um, they are involved on a daily basis on ex in, on with um, animal exploitation, and one expression of that is meat consumption, um, and and that's where meat paradox is coming from. Um, it was a bunch of social psychologists, including um, Steve Lohnan and Brock Bastian, um, and and Nick Haslam, who start this research line in psychology, um, to see how people deal with that kind of a conflicting um, information or conflicting values there uh, that you actually love meat but also want to love animals and and in psychology they have done a great deal of research on how people solve that conflict and usually people are just coming up with all kinds of justifications rationalizations or try to avoid the whole paradox in itself trying to ignore the conflict there, uh, minimize the problems and 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 so on. So um, I think that concept in itself is, 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 a, is a great starting point to understand um, why it's so hard to change meat eating behavior. Um, but I've, I've come to realize that it's um, it's much broader than that as well. Um, it can be applied to all kinds of areas of animal exploitation. Like what? <laughs> um, all kinds of like um, it's well you, you can easily go and and uh, and start investigate vegetarians why they still drink milk and why they still eat eggs and then you can come up with a whole new uh, research line on the milk paradox like uh, and especially for vegetarians who are kind of very vocal about like they don't want to eat like for ethical reasons at least, at least that they don't want to eat meat or nothing coming from uh, dead animals, but we know that a huge number of animals are being killed for milk production as well. Mm -hmm. So that's that's another area where you can explore it. Then in traditional practices, all kinds of sports and all kinds of um, uh, activities for entertainment, we use and exploit animals in uh, daily life. Um, and every country, every culture has their own uh, specific practices that they use, uh, thinking about bullfighting in Spain, whaling practices. Uh, these kind of activities are like 
are most people outside those cultures are really disgusted by by these activities but in, when you're kind of part of that culture you think of it as totally normal and and we, we've done some research on now you see the same processes going on that people justify it or trying to um, minimize the harm you, the, that these practices do to animals. Yeah, so if anyone is interested, this book, I'm going to link um, in the info under the podcast. Uh, but there's all these cutting edge new studies where people are trying to figure out these really basic questions, because I think this has a lot of relevance for social movements and social policy. What actually gets people to change their behavior and what gets groups of people in societies to change their behavior? And it's infinitely complex, but you got to start somewhere. You have been doing a lot of work in intersectionality, which um, for me, I'm, I came into this with that vegan feminist perspective, Carol Adams, Breeze Harper, AFCO, et cetera. And then the work that you're doing, we finally are having research to support these theories that have been floating around since the 80s and the 90s, 70s even. Now, yes, there's intersectional um, attitudes and, and, and what you tell me, tell me what yeah. you've been finding. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, we've we've been doing like that's most of my research line at the moment is that we uh, because I'm, I've been more focusing uh, mostly on intergroup relations and how that intersect with human animal relations. And um, yeah, so that's uh, and that approach has been questioned a lot in the past in, in social psychology. But now the, the field is getting more and more open to it because they understand like we feel that we, this perspective is, is a lot more uh, getting a lot more traction there and being more appreciated by the field and seeing that the same psychological factors connect uh, all these dots, all these different social justice issues. And, and that's indeed all inspired by theorizing from decades ago, uh, philosophers and, and, and scholars in animal studies and in sociology. Uh, but no one really in psychology took the time to measure these things and, and just uh, come up with evidence for that. And um, yeah, or and it's quite surprising to know that um, in Carol Adams' book was all, is one from the 90s. And we published a paper um, just this year, it's all, online now, uh, showing the links with human supremacy beliefs and sexism. Um, and there was hardly any psychological uh, work on that yet. So I think it's uh, it's it's good that this is getting more and more attention now. Um, so I think psychology and social psychology have a, a huge um, role to play there to to unpack all of these associations, these intersections and come up with some evidence for that. So this actually leads me into the next question. There's a theme that's been going on when I ask other folks um, what advice would you have for getting into the field if you want to pursue this? And one of the things that they have suggested, almost everyone actually, is the importance of billing your work and your research uh, as being very intersectional. And so you've mentioned this, this to me in the past about when you want to publish in good journals, if you want to be recognized professionally, you know, this isn't all just careerism. This is about we want, to, we want people to pay attention to this research outside of our tiny little subfield. But you've advocated, you said, if we can demonstrate how this links up to other um, other issues that society takes more seriously, like sexism or racism, that's one way that you can have an in, kind of get through the door. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so 
um, if the advice is, is kind of directed towards uh, people who really just starting their career or whether they want to choose to do a PhD in this field, it's important to, to inform yourself about a broad uh, range of different subjects and to link it up with those subjects that are already well established. It's, it's super hard to establish a totally new research line um, and, and, and get respect for that. Um, so, and, and like I said, this, the theorizing is all there, basically. Um, you just need to find that entrance and, to, and connect it to your topic you want to investigate. Um, the other aspect of it is that given that it's still a growing field and, and still quite small compared to other social justice uh, topics, is that if you want to get the attention of these other people, you need to connect with a broader audience in academia. So you need to um, appeal to their interests as well. And unfortunately, there's still a lot of people who are not um, are not like convinced that our efforts and our research money and our time should go to um, the the topic of animal exploitation or speciesism. Um, and and if you can actually link it up with, with other social justice issues. Um, then you might have more success with getting their attention. Disclosure, Christoph is my age, but I'm new to the University of Kent. He's been here a while. And I've found that you've been a very good mentor to me. And maybe you could tell us Thank a little you. bit more about ah, come on. How, how you got into this field yourself. Like what, what drew you into this topic area, knowing full well that you had an uphill battle to get um, any kind of uh, attention or see your work seen as legitimate? Well, my research during my PhD is it was mainly focused on racial prejudice and how to reduce prejudice through positive intergroup contact. Um, so that was already quite a, a growing field, a big field, and um, I contribute to that literature uh, with a new perspective there while, by focusing on uh, ideological variables, uh, including social dominance orientation, right-wing authoritarianism, um, like the political psychology approach to that. And that made me start thinking about like, and because of my interest in veganism and animal rights, that start to make me think about, well, this actually can all, all these frameworks can be applied to human animal relations. So, um, and to how we think about animals and what shapes our behavior uh, towards animals and animal exploitation. So um, that was, um, started off with site projects um, and smaller projects um, and from there we, we went on doing more and more and once I start uh, once I was a, a lecturer at the University of Kent I had a bit more freedom to kind of um, do more and more research on this so and that turned out, out to be quite successful and, and interesting um, because more and more people, I think it's kind of also relates to the, the zeitgeist, like people would say, it's kind of this, there's the momentum now to, to um, link it up all together and has implications for environmentalism as well. So um, a lot more people are paying more attention to these, um, uh, to these topics of speciesism and animal uh, rights and meat consumption. So, um, it's it's just making it start small and, and make it grow from there. And you just can't give up. You just need to push on and be patient. 
Yeah, and I think people come who come after us are coming up now. You're right. They're going to have a little bit of an easier way because folks like us have been <laughs> struggling to get to get recognized. But then also, it, since moving to the UK, it's become so clear to me how much um, just the general public concern for other animals and interest in veganism it has just exploded. So I do think you're right. There will be more space and support for this. But you're right. Don't give up. Do not give up. And the last thing I want to talk about before we wrap up is um, as far as advice for newcomers. And one of the other things that has been popping up in other interviews is folks are talking about the importance of networking and, and formal and informal support. And so that is one of the amazing things that you do is with Shark Lab. And maybe you could talk a little bit about what Shark Lab is as far as that mentorship supportive research space and how it's not just for early career folks or new folks like me but also for students oh yeah so how'd you get started um, well we we already had kind of other lab meetings and, and one is one a big one in psychology as a political psychology lab and i uh, found like because I, I always get more PhD students who are not necessarily fully interested in political psychology, but were working on human-animal relations. We thought it was time to kind of build a, a new or develop a new uh, research lab um, and have separate meetings to focus on these topics of human-animal relations. And um, and I think it has helped a lot to shape our ideas and our thinking about the topics we're investigating. And it's a way to get a lot of informal feedback on our research, um, to, to open yourself there, like open up to others and be vulnerable in, in terms of receiving criticism before you, you share it with the wider world and submit it to journals. <laughs> um, and, and you have noticed it yourself as well. So, um, uh, but we try to be as supportive as possible now, of course. Um, and, and it's also partly um, a social thing, right? Like yeah. you, you, yeah. we're spending lots of time in our offices working on our, on our work, uh, on, on our writings and, and doing our research. And we, we don't come out uh, too much and, and, and to meet up with like-minded people. And I think it's, it's important to, to share that um, these moments with like-minded people as well. Um, and that's one part of the networking and, and kind of the mentoring is kind of bring people together and give feedback to each other um, uh, without uh, like taking credit for it, unless you're of course supervisor of these of these people or um, if you're involved in the research, uh, but just selfishly kind of uh, help each other out with these things to improve each other's work. Um, and then um, often it leads to bigger things as well. And um, if you in a group, you you can have, like achieve a lot more than than as an individual. And that's one of the things I think we were uh, doing when we organized the Animal Advocacy Conference, who was actually going to happen right as like like now. Oh, um, right. It, it was just. It was the second day of, of our conference now, and we are locked in our houses now. Um, but hopefully we can do that next year. But I think that kind of, that wouldn't have happened if you wouldn't have Shark Lab as well. Yeah, um, you're absolutely it, right. So we were thinking, well, let's bring everyone from different fields and social science together and, and, um, and talk about our work and learn from each other, learn from advocates, learn from activists, learn from 
uh, yeah, from sociologists and social psychologists uh, all over the world. Um, and then that's kind of that uh, um, that networking, uh, that network building that is so valuable in academia as well. Um, and at the same time, I do think it's important to kind of be outward looking, look outside your own research specific niche and specific research field uh, to stay connected with your your broader field and to try to to get um, a sense of what's going on outside your the like in this case animal studies or um, human animal relations um, to really make sure you're not preaching to the choir all the time um, and I think that's kind of where a lot of other work needs to be done as well just um, really make animal studies an established um, component within sociology and social psychology. So I, what I would summarize out of this is for folks listening to this who want to get into this field and you maybe don't have much of a support network where you are, it's important to be a member of this a section of, say, the American Sociological Association section, which I'm chairing. That's an excellent way. Or if you have um, like-minded folks in your university, you can create a collective like Christoph has done. And there's another one in our university that humanities folks have done, and they put on conferences and talks and whatnot. So these are things that you don't have to just like wait around for it to happen and then get bummed out because there's nothing there. You might be the one who creates it yourself and you create those opportunities. And for anyone who wants to go off into academia and for a lot of career fields, really, you do need to have to be the creator of things and the leader and, and really take initiative. So maybe that is some really good advice there. And you forgot to mention we go to vegan sanctuaries now and then, which is the best part of Shark Lab. Yeah, that was part of the social activities as well. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, we have to cancel one as well because of the lockdown. So um, yeah, so hopefully we can do that uh, somewhere in the next month again. Because you have to use animals for a while now. Yeah, we need to see Scott, our adopted pig. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I guess that's probably a lot for people to chew on. And for folks who were interested in this conference, it, yeah, we are putting on a conference, but obviously it had to be canceled, but we will be doing it again next summer. So hopefully you'll come on down, see us here in Canterbury, England. So Christoph, can you tell us, uh, stop laughing at me. Can you tell us where we can find out more about you? Do you have any social media that people can? Yeah, I'm I'm on Twitter. I'm uh, on Twitter. I'm I have a website. Shark Lab has a website as well, and Shark Lab is also yep. on Twitter. So um, it's all there. Uh, you can post the links, I guess, with the podcast, yeah. um, so that people can find it and. From there on, you probably also can, or you can post a, a separate link for the Animal Advocacy Conference. Um, it has a big banner now with postponed uh, on it, but at some point, hopefully, we can remove that banner and come up with new dates for that. Right. All right. Well, thanks so much. This has been extremely useful and I think will be helpful to students and early career folks and anyone who's interested in studying animals from a scientific perspective. Thanks, bud. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Sociology and Animals. I hope you found it helpful and informative. If you want to learn more about the sociological study of society and animals, you can check out the website of the Animals and Society section of the American Sociological Association 
or my own website at coreyleebrin.com. You can also check out the International Association for Vegan Sociologists, and the website for that is vegansociology.com. Feedback and suggestions can be submitted to myself at coreyren at gmail.com. That's C-O-R-E-Y dot W-R-E-N-N at gmail.com. If you liked this episode, be sure to share the series with others. The music for this podcast was provided by Ode to Sleep, a band local to where I live here in East Kent, England. Ode to Sleep explores various topics with their music, including human and animal rights, environmental issues, equality, and mental health. Their debut EP will be released in September 2020 through Is No I N Team Records. Their single featured here is called Captive Audience and is available now on all streaming platforms. Until next time, this is Dr. Corey Wren signing off. All the best.